Welcome to the Payments Hub Podcast. This is Craig Jeffrey. Normally, I'm the host of the Treasury Update Podcast, but this recording is being done for two different podcasts, and I'm delighted to have John Paquette here from TIS. John, welcome to the Payments Hub Podcast. Thanks, Craig. Happy to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about the implications of the technology survey that we recently completed together. And just by way of background, you know, a general maxim or, or truth is that technology is changing rapidly. No surprise there. And some of the recently completed research on this topic of Treasury Tech just wrapped up, and there are some a, a number of interesting data points, trends, and implications. So I'm really excited to talk with you, John, about the impact on Treasury. What did these things mean? What's changing? Maybe before we get into the survey and some of the elements about what we're learning, can you give us a quick run-through of your responsibility at TIS? Yeah, happy to do that. So John Picat, I'm EVP for Solutions and Product Strategy at TIS. I oversee our Solutions Architects team globally, and also a lot of our product strategy, so product market fit, product partnerships, um, really just helping to inform the product team on the more strategic part of our product roadmap. So like I mentioned, happy to be here on the podcast. I'm looking forward to, to going through the results. I know one of our previous podcasts, I think, is the most uh, downloaded podcast, John. So you're a, you're a bit of a, a star here for us. So on the survey, you know, for those that are listening, you can find information about downloading the survey report in the show notes. You can find them by going to Strategic Treasure, looking at the research. Uh, you can download uh, quite a bit of information. But just by way of some quick stats, uh, well over 200 respondents. There were over 50 questions that ran for about four weeks. Um, really heavy participation in North America, Europe, and the Asia Pac regions. Other areas of the globe were, uh, you know, quite a bit lighter than than those three primary areas. But um, you know, in terms of narrowing in what we talk about, because there's so much, nobody's going to listen to a four-hour podcast or a three-hour podcast. There are over a dozen key findings that we thought were important, and we just highlighted ten within the report. And so for our talk today, I wanted to pick your brain on just a few of the items and then talk about that. So I'll, I'll just mention them off quickly and then ask the question. So tech use is really rising. The look and the view for an asset or a technology asset that increases in value seems to be quite emergent. What's going on with AI and machine learning? Is this hype? And it's not. It's not just hype. There are some changes going on, but calibration is in order. And then kind of a catch-all category. John, as we look at tech use, it's clearly rising, but its its ascent is happening at different rates. And so when you think about various spaces or systems that Treasury, AP, AR, et cetera, use, some are seeing really strong growth um, and are expected to see strong growth. Uh, others are seeing really, really rapid growth, um, and they're you know, happening at different uh, rates of speed. Why? Why is this occurring at different rates of speed adoption and plans to adopt? And, you know, as part of that, how should treasury professionals or finance professionals think about this? And, um, yeah, feel free to start in, in any category you want. Yeah, no, I think this is definitely a, a result that we're seeing kind of kind of throughout the, uh, the survey results. You know, in, in terms of a category to start off on, maybe payment tech is one of the most interesting findings that we've seen, you know, throughout the results of the survey. survey. So the rise in sort of, point solutions, things like payment factories or treasury aggregators, those are specifically designed to sort of address payments and banking activity needs. There's a lot of interesting trends about the evolving role of those in a lot of different organizations. So, you know, both categories are really showing just under 70% expected growth in the next two years, which is, which I thought was really interesting. 
And you're seeing some regional differences and some differences in the size of businesses that are taking advantage of these softwares. So treasury aggregators are actually expecting 100% growth in North America based on the survey responses, which I think is kind of telling of, you know, kind of the, I guess, the uh, quicker ascent to digitization within Europe that you saw. You know, that a lot of uh, uh, corporates in Europe have been using SEPA payments and, you know, bank connectivity to kind of streamline financial operations for quite a while now. Where in North America, you're still seeing a lot of paper check processes and sort of a lag in sort of the, the adoption of digital payment methods and things like that. But of course, that's going to catch up over time. And I think that, you know, businesses are starting to see more so in, the, in North America, the opportunities there and the need to have a solution in place that really kind of universally handles the bank connectivity and, and payments piece for them. Previously, maybe it was thought of in the context of more of a treasury management solution, but I think businesses recognize now that bank connectivity and payments are fundamental across the entire business, whether it be treasury, AP, payroll, whatever it might be, right? So, Yeah. One quick question on that, um, John. So is it is is what you're saying is North America is going to experience faster growth. It's not that they're moving ahead of, let's say, Europe. It's that they're playing catch-up in some regards. And the other one that I thought was interesting, too, is uh, payments factories expecting 100% growth in the market of, you know, sort of more small to medium-sized businesses. So this is a category you saw a lot of, you know, upper mid-market enterprise-level companies, big global companies with complex payment needs adopting a lot earlier just because they had the sophistication and the complexity where they really saw the value out of these solutions. But even some of these smaller businesses are starting to see the benefit of even if they have, you know, even if they're operating in a handful of markets, they have five to 10 bank relationships, there's still enough payment complexity there and, and, and still enough, you know, opportunity for standardization and security. We're adopting these technologies is starting to make a, a whole lot of sense as well for that, for that market segment. So I thought that was an interesting finding as well. You know, the issue, too, is some of these smaller companies have become as global as much larger companies without the the level of resources. So it, it certainly seems like now it's a the democratization of this technology to support the the complexity. Yeah. And that's and that makes that makes a, a lot of sense to see the, the growth and change over time. So good news for those of you who don't have the same resources. There's help on the way. I guess your and your peers are seeing that. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, these technologies are becoming easier to adopt as, as they sort of adopt cloud-based models and SaaS-based models, right? Not You don't have the same level of IT resources. These things are more plug and play, and that just opens up the door for small and medium business to take advantage of software that might have been reserved for just the enterprise-level business segment, you know, uh, previously. Any other tech areas you wanted to highlight? Yeah, that's the other one. I mean, it's not a it's not a new area necessarily, but in terms of you know capabilities, organizations still have you know, really in focus here. Cash management, cash forecasting is another one that you're seeing sort of permeate throughout the survey results as well. It's been in the forefront for a while now, where organizations have really been focusing on their cash management strategy. But you know, you can see based on a lot of the economic variables kind of coming into play this year, they're putting an even bigger focus on it. There's a lot of concern about interest rate risk. We saw that you know throughout the survey results as well when we kind of asked the the uh, respondents, what were the areas, you know, primarily that they were fo- focusing on from a risk management standpoint. I think also, you know, people are keeping an eye on bank counterparty risk, and that's playing into a lot of the, the sort of the cash management, the visibility, the exposure type uh, attention as well, though that actually didn't show up in the survey results, which was interesting. People, people didn't seem to actually really have a strong sort of, um, you know, I guess it weren't gravitating towards counterparty risk management quite as much as we thought that they, w- they would be, so... You know, it's we're seeing that with across uh, several different domains. People talk about it, but it's about you know, depending on what you're looking at, maybe it's only a third are paying attention to the counterparty risk. Given, you know, that we've seen quite a few banks globally, you know, succumb, uh, become insolvent, or be taken over, 
that that seems odd to me. Like, why wouldn't that be? Why wouldn't that be picking up at a greater a greater pace? Uh, maybe it's because there haven't been the losses; they've been covered. Uh, but that that certainly seems to be a, a bit of a gap. I liked your comment about the interest rate risk. You know, this idea that even if even if rates taper off and decline, you have on the debt side, you have so many people whose debt is maturing, and when they go to refinance, it's going to be kicking up. Even if rates, you know, tail down slightly, there's expectations there. So this risk is pretty pretty heavy on the risk area. I, th- I think you're really hitting the, a good point there that the future look for counterparties and uh, interest rates uh, is a concern. All right, um, John, you know, uh, the second area was on an asset that increases in value. Historically, when people invested in technologies, you invest in something, Maybe you don't get all the value out of it you want um, initially, but typically the the value of the system would decrease or diminish over time for a number of reasons, right? Development would slow down, there'd be this development-like cycle would stop, and that's really changed quite a bit with what's available. I guess everyone wants a system or an asset that grows in value over time rather than one that declines. And one of the measurements here is what's driving expectations and are those expectations being realized? How are people thinking about that? You probably have way more content uh, in your head from experience than we have from the survey, but you know, how should a buyer of technology, how should this idea that an asset that increases in value, how should that inform our technology you know, purchases, plans, and, and strategies? Yeah, I think I think you're right. This was a big sort of area in the survey results that I thought was really interesting as well. And I think that the way the respondents kind of, you know, um, provided their input on this, these particular questions was directly in line with what we're actually seeing in the market as well as we talk to customers and prospects on a day over day basis. So as they're choosing new technologies, they're really considering, you know, the provider's commitment to that product. Are they going to keep it best in class long term? That's a huge consideration. Um, they're considering whether or not those providers are adopting modern technologies, things like you know APIs or artificial intelligence, machine learning, and really what their what their sort of strategy is for folding those into their product. And they're asking a lot of questions about the future roadmap. Where's the product going in the future? Where's the company going in the future as well? So I think it kind of reflects that Treasury's at an interesting spot right now in technology adoption, where there's a lot of these technologies coming to market: open banking APIs, AI, machine learning. Uh, embedded finance, all these different capabilities that are kind of in flight to reaching full maturity. And I think where the treasurer is sitting today is, is they don't want to make the wrong decision, even if it's, you know, maybe these technologies aren't going to be adopted immediately upon the selection of a software. Maybe they don't have the use cases internally for them. Maybe they don't feel like the technologies have reached full maturity to really support what they need them to do. But they don't want to make the wrong decision and sort of prevent themselves from being able to move to those uh, more modern technologies in the future. So everybody is very, very cognizant of that, I think, in the in the way that they're evaluating tech investments. We see a lot of companies steering away from, you know, uh, providers who are considered legacy technology or even like proactively upgrading their tech stacks and kind of removing some of those those older technology providers out of there and making way for, for newer modernized type software solutions. You know, John, a couple of those things, you, you talked about the roadmap. Um, you know, there's the historical roadmap. What what has a company put out in terms of their plans for development and how have they met those, right? You know, I remember that quote, I'm, I'm changing it slightly, but it was, you, you, can't, uh, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. You have to have a reputation on what you did, but there's also an aspect of what's the future roadmap look like. So you're delivering on a roadmap, you have a 
credible and compelling future roadmap in terms of how that will solve issues, uh, reduce uh, threats. So that's, that's you know, your comments there really highlight the attention people are paying to that. So all our peers are paying more attention there. On the tech side, this idea of using some of the modern tech, why is that so important? I know that's a, at base level, that's like a question that everyone knows the answer to, right? It's tech is changing. But maybe you could describe why you see the need to use current tech. Like why is, why is that important? Yeah, I think a lot of it's driven just by the fact that the expectations on the treasure are changing a little bit, right? Like we saw this happening a lot during the pandemic. I think it's the most easy use case, I guess, to really point to where, you know, the cash forecast, for example, became much more than just a report that Treasury created and just published out and, you know, didn't really look at all that closely. As you saw a lot of unpredictability, unpredictability kind of coming into the front with, um, you know, receivables, cash collections, uh, even accounts payable and things like that. They were impacting liquidity at companies. Um, the CFO started asking a lot of questions as it pertained to the cash flow forecast. Hey, why are receipts off? You know, forty percent in comparison to what they were last week. And a lot of those questions kind of, you know, s- stuck as things sort of got back to normal. And then obviously a lot of new different um, variables, you know, came into came into play. The treasuries treasurers also have to manage. So you know, I think the expectations really changed in terms of what Treasury does on a day over day basis. And they just need these technologies to be able to facilitate it. You know, you need, you know, if you want to manage cash in real time, you need to be able to be able to leverage open banking APIs or, you know, more, more um, frequent feeds of bank information into your tools. AI and machine learning also help treasurers to kind of more proactively pick up, pick out some of those variables that might throw a forecast off, or at least, you know, draw different insights to their, their attention that might not have been you know accessible before. So I think it's, it's really a lot of that mentality that's driving Treasurers to want to utilize this technology, you know, more and more in their in their day to day. Interesting, you know, John. Um, one of the other elements that I wasn't sure if you're going to mention or not, but the the rate of the rate of change and the rate of development, like as as people move on to newer technology, every time there's a shift in technology, the rate of development moves more rapidly. You know, from two times to five to eight times as you as you move and you shift on the technology. So. That also plays a factor too, right? You move on to new tech, it's it tends to be better, but it also can develop more rapidly. And that's that creates very disruptive activities because you're no longer saying this will be three years before it's developed and in production. If I'm working with a tech partner, they're able to do that. They can integrate more fa- more rapidly, leverage some of this other technology. Now, you had mentioned uh, AI and machine learning. Uh, a bit in this answer. And I, and I have some questions there too. So it's, um, let, let me ask the question and then you can just add to what you had said before, you know, is, is AI and machine learning more hype or more reality? If it's more hype, when will it become more reality and, and how so? And the, the next question says that there's, there's certainly some reality to it because it's like, where are treasury teams focusing their attention on AI and machine learning and how should that inform how we think, how we plan, you know, everything from staffing to technology partners to maybe our back-end technology areas. Yeah, maybe you could just do a little riff on AI and machine learning. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I think, and I think you kind of mentioned this as you introduced the topic as well, that, you know, it's not hype. It's, It's going to be coming into, you know, play more and more in technology. And there's obviously really a lot of value that treasurers can derive from this technology. 
just helping to, you know, help them gain deeper levels of insights or, you know, see around corners and manage risk a whole lot better. But I think there are three things that are kind of hindering it's, it right now. I guess for, first is the, the probably the easiest one to address of the specific use cases around it, right? How exactly do treasurers want this incorporated into their technology? Where are the benefits that can be de- derived? You know, is there a way to do that universally? It's, it's a little bit tricky because obviously every business is a little bit different from a treasury management perspective. So the way that you know retail versus manufacturing versus services industries might use those technologies for something like forecasting cash or even, even what access to data those those technology those technologies would have at those different business lines is going to is going to differ a little bit so there's a little bit of that i think coming into play right now where where you know the providers are still kind of flushing out those use cases and the ones that are really going to help drive a lot of value the other you know kind of thing hindering it, i think is the data so in, in order to use these technologies you need a lot of data and you need that data to be very very clean so obviously the whole point of these technologies is to leverage that data to, to learn autonomously to make decisions on behalf of the treasurer right so um and not a lot of businesses have maybe historically done a, a phenomenal job collecting two three years of really really clean data that's going to create a little bit of a natural lag although we see you know data management strategies also being one of those technology topics that's really coming into the forefront for treasurers for a number of reasons but this is definitely one of them and i think the third one is just the sort of the unknowns around the regulations you know right now these technologies are kind of you know not not fully regulated uh, you know, in a, in a way that's really uh, i guess consistent right so and then you think about a technology that you're basically giving access to all your most critical financial data it's going to be able to use that data, learn autonomously and, and make decisions. And that gives some treasurers who are naturally pretty risk adverse people a little bit of pause about fully adopting this, these technologies until they fully kind of it's some of these topics are fully fledged out. But that being said, I mean, I think that you will this will be a trend. We will definitely see these technologies making their way more and more into software over time. And you know, it's clear from the respondents in, the, in this particular survey, survey and just you know, general industry conversations that there are two key areas where people see a lot of benefit for these technologies, and that's cash forecasting and fraud detection. So those are the two real areas where you'd see, I think, um, some of the most interesting use cases starting to be uh, start, starting to come out a little bit too. But you know, we also saw some trends in, in, in terms of just what types of companies would see value in these in these uh, solutions as well. So. You know, in terms of forecasting, 80% of large businesses saw the benefit there versus only 60% of small businesses, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, large businesses have more complex variables to forecast. They're probably a little bit further along on the technology adoption curve as well, where they might have an, an automated forecast process in place. and They're looking to take that to the next level where a small business might still be trying to move off Excel or some, some very basic sort of more cash positioning driven uh, forecasting. And then, you know, the other one I thought was interesting, an interesting result from the survey were the regional differences in the role of AI and machine learning and fraud detection. So you had the treasurers in Europe, about 95% responding that they saw significant benefits to adopting these technologies for fraud detection, where in North America, that was only about 70%. So that was one that kind of made me uh, scratch my head for a moment. But, you know, if you think about it, you know, uh, you know like we called attention to before, in North America, there's still a high percentage of payments being made through check. So that's easily sort of um, combated through positive pay and some of the bank products out there for fraud detection. In the U.S., you also have things like um, you know, early warning, account validation services that are you know, able to leverage a, um, a data set of, of information reported by banks to actually validate beneficiary account information. In Europe, you don't have stuff like that quite as broadly because of GDPR and data privacy regulations and things like that. So makes sense that the European treasurers would see, hey, we really need, you know, a really intelligent solution here to kind of help us uh, help us detect fraud. So. That, that's, that's some really good calibration and color on that, um, 
John. Uh, you know, and, and either way, whether it's 70% or 95%, uh, and what are all the exact reasons, it's you know, anybody listening knows that your peers are looking at this heavily. The lightest we have is 70%. The maximum is 95%. So those are, those are all significant majorities. Um, one, one quick follow-up on your, your forecasting comment, too, um, and, and a question. You, know, you said 80% for the large companies see the value there and 60% of the smaller companies. So one general comment is both of those are majorities. And here's the question, um, you know, using the term the democratization of technology, the ability for smaller companies to get into newer technology, will they have an advantage very soon because they don't have 40 systems they're working with in finance, they may have eight or six. Will that flip over time? Will uh, the ability to be more nimble because they're smaller change uh, change the tech adoption? They don't have the resources, but they can they can swap things out more quickly. You think that's gonna flip? And if so, when when do you think that'll flip? Yeah, I, I think it will. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of an advantage. It, it, obviously, like you, you mentioned before, you know, smaller companies might not have adopted technology because they didn't have the IT resources. It might have been too much of an administrative burden, or they might have not have thought that they were complex enough to, you know, necess- necessitate a system that was going to drive a lot of costs. But obviously, systems are cheap now. They're modular. They're, you know, cloud-based. They, they require less of an IT lift. I think that does benefit the small organizations from both respects. Like you said, from a data set standpoint, they're a lot simpler from a, from a systems integration standpoint, they likely, you know, categorically have fewer systems to really integrate, to get that data really comprehensive and complete. And in some cases, you know, having not adopted technology before might help you giving some of the changing dynamics of the role of the treasurer as well, where you can really adopt uh, technology and drive that more at, you know, uh, making the treasurer a better decision maker and driving better actions within the organizations versus a lot of the legacy tech adoption that was really focused on process automation and reporting, right? So you can almost like uh, bypass some of those mistakes from the past or not even mistakes, just the way the the sort of the expectations change over time and adopt these technologies, you know, pretty cleanly using best practices. So one of the last things I wanted to ask you about was, you know, other areas that you found interesting. I know we, we spoke about this, the idea of an expanding ecosystem. And this is, this really, I think, ties into some of your comments about, you know, the value of, you know, working with partners that have a, that the, their asset increases in value, the system adds more functionality. And part of that is you're either doing it solely within, let's say, vendor A, vendor B, vendor C, doing that on their own. But there's also this more openness, the connectivity and the ecosystem where parts collaborate and work together. What stood out to you in that area? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. If you looked at, you know, the emphasis on expanding partner ecosystem, folding in more partner integrations into a software is kind of how 